the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Son, a podcast about you. Hello, Sandies. Welcome to Sand, a podcast about Dune. Uh, we're back here. Uh, I'm Lance. I'm here with Molly. Hey, everyone. <laughs> we are your pod emperors of Dune. I kept Hell saying... Hell yeah! We... <laughs> <laughs> wow, we forgot. <laughs> we totally forgot that we were going to call ourselves Shit. that. And now here we are, almost the end of the book. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah. Well, at least it didn't overstay its welcome. Yeah, exactly, exactly. People would have got so sick of it. (laughs) Awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be the second to four chapters of the third book of the first book of Dune. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to get into some movie talk? Yeah, let's let's jump in. Yeah. I think it's your turn to go first. Okay. So, just a peek behind the curtain. Right. Uh, we recorded our last episode kind of later in the week, last week. So I've only had since Wednesday. This is a so this is a smaller list. I've had um, Wednesday, and then I put in a few days with my time compressor. So I've had more time. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Wait, that was a confusing what? joke. I think it's just because you said I've had since Wednesday. Like I also didn't have since Wednesday. <laughs> I'm just being an asshole, sorry. No, no, it's funny. <laughs> Alright, so my list is The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Blind Spotting, The Loved Ones, Ghost, The Monster Squad, and Voyeur. Nice. Um Yeah. And I'm trying to decide which one I'd want to go over more. I think, I think it really, so I watched Blind Spotting last night and I really, really enjoyed that movie. It's about a guy who is in his last three days of being on probation and we kind of learn about his past. Like during these three days, we like kind of learn about like what got him put into jail in the first place. And he's also wrestling with the fact that he witnessed a white cop shoot a black man. And it, it has a very, like, Spike Lee feel, but it's also, like, very funny. Uh, a lot of it is, like, just, like, the humor is just, like, really... It's just it, it's just a real funny, real charming movie. Um, but also, like, touches on some pretty serious issues. It's just got a really cool feel. There's lots of, like, freestyle rapping in it. I mean, the mm-hmm. characters are freestyle rapping. I'm assuming the writer wrote the raps. Really? You think so? Yeah, I don't think... Because there's, there's essentially a, a monologue in the movie that's delivered as a rap. Damn. So I'm assuming that that was, like, written ahead of time. Okay. Yeah, I've heard from everybody that this was, like, the most underrated movie of, like, the last couple years, so... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched it and I was very much like, I should have seen this in theaters. This totally. is really good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, am I supposed to go over two? I forget how we yes. do it because we had a guest last week. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Do you want to go over the rules again? <laughs> <laughs> so every week you go, you pick your full list of movies and you say the link. <laughs> I guess the other one I'll go over is Voyeur, which is a documentary about this. I mean, it's really a documentary about a journalist who's doing a book about this man who owned a hotel where he made this crawl space over all the rooms. This and is a documentary? This is a documentary. Wow. This really happened. Oh my God. Uh, he made this crawl space over all his like hotel. It's a motel, all, all these motel rooms. And he would spend hours every single night spying on everybody inside the rooms taking notes on them on like how often they had sex or masturbated or like all this stuff and it's really it's it's pretty interesting because it's like it starts off you think oh this is just going to be about this like weird creep who did this but it turns out to be more about the relationship between this this weird creep and this journalist who's been writing about him since the seven i think since the 70s or maybe the 80s yeah it's it's based on the gus van Gus Van Zandt or something like that. Not Gus Van Zandt. Guy. I've yeah, seen gay. this book. Gay. Yeah. yeah. Gay Talese. Yeah. Gay Talese. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's based on that. And and you get to kind of know them. And then fact checks happen. And you realize that, like, maybe not everything's truthful. Uh-huh. And it's and it kind of, like, it's about like gay really wrestles with himself about like well what is like how how truthful like how much should i believe this guy i've known him for so long i feel like i'm presenting the truth and like Hmm. it's it's really good it's really good that sounds awesome um yeah because i when you said like having sex and masturbating i'm like okay but maybe most people i would imagine most people that go to a motel really just kind of watch tv and go to sleep right Right. Well, I mean, they they talk about that, about how much time you would have to spend Mm -hmm. watching all these different people without getting anything. Like, they're just watching TV or they just show (laughs) up and they just sleep, you know? Like, Uh whatever, to eventually find something that, like, is titillating or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A bunch of hands in the roof or something. (laughs) right (laughs) okay well that sounds that sounds really good i guess you don't get any of the footage of the people (laughs) right i would like his live footage of all these people in their motel rooms that's what i want yeah they don't have yeah they do some like dramatic recreations but they mostly just like have a model of the motel Uh that they kind of like show like what kind of like little representations of what he saw in this model that's cool that's a good way to do it yeah Cool. I guess I'd like to know, because the other, yes, Last Black Man in in Francisco, what'd you think of it? I thought it was beautiful. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, it feels like so creative and the music is amazing. The acting is amazing. It feels very, very inspired. The editing is great. Like, it just, it, it flows really well as one piece. Towards the end, it kind of loses me. It mm-hmm. kind of fizzles out, and I don't, like, I, I feel like it doesn't really, like, you know, uh, stick the landing. But the rest of the movie is so good that I still, like, very much recommend watching Would it. Would it totally spoil it to say what that is? Because that's every review has said that about the ending just fizzling out. Is yeah. it that it makes a choice or something that, like, doesn't... So, the, the thing is, is it's, it's not that... <laughs> 
it's not that it, I, I would call it a bad ending. It's just that it, it's not an impressive ending. Okay. It's it's like a, you know how like a sometimes you listen to this is probably a, a really stupid analogy, but like sometimes <laughs> you like listen to a really good song, especially like older songs, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this is this is like cool. I'm I'm getting to the groove of this, and then the end is just like the song just fade fades off. Yes. Like it's just like someone just turned down the dial. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what this is. Like it, it has it has an ending. Like it's definitely like this is an ending. This is the end to the movie. But it just doesn't feel like it really knew where it's going the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because I, I I think it's you know a pretty personal movie because the it's 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 written by the guy that it's about essentially. Like it's about his own life. I I believe mm-hmm. it's at least named after the characters named after the writer. So maybe it's just that like. It's hard to yeah to like fictionalize that yeah to like yeah. put an end you know an end to like a, the story of something that happened to you yeah it just looks it like the the cinematography of it looks so beautiful oh yeah it's I yeah. would absolutely recommend watching it because yeah. it doesn't it it doesn't it it doesn't really matter that the ending isn't that good sure because it really care. is just like yeah I barely watch any I I I don't love I mean I like narrative stuff but I I also am totally cool with. Mm-hmm. things that don't have that structure but yeah it was just like in every review so it was just i don't know it was the stop point for me but i'm glad to hear yeah, that it just kind of fades off yeah reading those reviews that said they didn't like the ending also kind of like probably spoiled it for me because i was kind of like okay uh, is this yeah. where is this where it sucks like uh-huh. but again I, there was no point where i was like oh that sucked it was just like <laughs> i was like oh okay that was it i don't that wasn't that great yeah, okay. I would say that this was for me an anti spoiler then. Okay. Cool. Yes. So thank you. Cool. All right. So the movies I watched, I also only had since Wednesday. So I watched Hoop Dreams, Dick, Soap Dish, Celine and Julie Go Boating, and Beale Street Could Talk. Cool. <clears throat> Let's see. I guess I'll say. So Hoop Dreams, I'll say I didn't. To- I haven't finished yet. I started it last night. Okay. And so I still have like probably an hour to go, mm-hmm. but I really, the more I think about it, the more I like it or am kind of very interested in it, um, mm-hmm. just in how effectively it shows so many of the things that we're trying to talk about with like how systems fail and people, I mean, like there's some really heartbreaking, really heartbreaking scenes in it. Um, and really aggravating. So it's about these two boys who <clears throat> are black, living in Chicago. They're both aspiring to be in the NBA. Um, and they were both recruited for this private school, St. Joseph's. One of the boys, Arthur, is let go from the school, I guess, very quickly after after beginning as a freshman and has to transfer back to his public school like mid-semester and they and the other one William is a junior to a senior he's on on the basketball team but he has this knee injury um, that's holding him back or like that keeps kind of coming up and he's scouting and it's just really high pressure situation but yeah so it's three hours long it's really it's filmed over five years I mean, I'm sure people know this very famous documentary, <laughs> but uh, there's one scene in particular where Arthur's parents are talking to the guidance counselor or somebody at 
St. Joseph's about, so they're, they're holding his record from like one semester. So he can't graduate right now, or he can't like, he needs those records, but they won't release them uh, until the parents pay like the $1,500 that they say they now owe, even though he would, he got into the school, like on a scholarship, basically they revoked that. But so the guy is talking to them and he figures out like the guidance counselor is like, oh, well, you could pay it over this amount of months. And it seems like he's doing them a big favor and they're really grateful for it. And he, oh, it's just such an icky scene because the guy is so like, Mm -hmm. he believes that he's doing them a favor, even though they're like charging them this absurd amount of money for something that they didn't get. Like, it's just like, it's, it's creepy to see it kind of play out. Yeah. Cool. I haven't seen that since i think it came out like it's been a very long time and i i remember thinking it was great but i don't really remember much about it. yeah there's just so many details and then he he deliberately like makes it very narrative so there's a lot of like ups and downs there's a lot of i'm really liking it so i'm excited to finish that and then i guess so i saw (laughs) dick (laughs) it's not the best movie to talk about it's not the best movie i liked it a lot (laughs) Um, I hadn't seen it. This is the yeah. Michelle Williams. And, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, okay. And it's like, yeah. you know, an alternate history or maybe the true history of uh, these two 15 year old girls who are just like really daffy go into the mm-hmm. White House. And they're, they essentially, the theory is that they're deep throat for the Watergate scandal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's so funny. They're so cute in it. And like, I love all their clothes. The style of it is so good. Will Ferrell and um, what's his name? Bruce McCullough play Woodward and Bernstein. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just love Will Ferrell, but this guy, whatever his name is, McCullough, David, whatever. He uh, he was really funny too. Hmm? From Kiss the Hall? Yeah, Kiss maybe the Hall? it's that. I don't know. I wasn't Bruce real McCullough? familiar. Bruce McCullough. I wasn't real familiar with him, but um, he was so funny in it. Anyway, it was just like, it was kind of the best. And it was a really good, I mean, the writing was really fun. It was kind of the kind of comedy that I like where it's like this excellent premise that just delivers over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kind of comedy I like. <laughs> An excellent premise that delivers. <laughs> Very niche. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, I. it also like did a great job of kind of revealing, you know, like commenting on a lot of like the political stuff without it because the girls themselves weren't very political. They just could reveal it and still be like really like kind of goofy the whole time. Yeah, I thought it was clever that way. Anyway, loved it. Yeah. Cool. How'd you feel about If Beale Street Could Talk? Well, I had seen it before. I saw it in theaters and I saw it with our... Well, I saw it with our mutual friend Maria. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I... I, I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, there's no real reason to compare it to Moonlight. But for me, I mean, it just, I mean, when I saw it the first time, I cried. Me and Maria just sat in our, our seats and cried for like five minutes. We were just so overwhelmed by it, I think. And again, mm-hmm. like when I saw it again, I just like, I sobbed. I mean, it's just, I don't really sob in movies, but this movie just, you know, the central story is about this couple where the man is falsely accused of rape and is put in prison. And the family around him is basically working to figure out how to 
release him from prison. And this is in the 60s, 50s, I guess in the 50s. And yeah, so that that in itself is incredibly like heart. I mean, you see their love story and you fall in love with them. And then, you know, so the heartbreak becomes really real. But then all of her family in particular, all of their relationships are so are so wonderful. And you kind of I mean, seeing like the the reverberations it has on them, too, I think was really moving like the mom. Incredible. And she's, there's a scene where she's having her baby and kind of talks to her about, like, she has to save some of herself for, like, this child that she's going to be raising and for the real world and even, like, this tragedy that happened. She loves her husband so much and the loss has been so great, but um, she has to, like, save some of her love for the rest of the world. And it's just so sad. I'm like gonna cry again. It's like, oh. Anyway, it's just such a beautiful movie, and yeah, I don't know. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I, I think it's great. I, I, I noticed that you said it sounded like you're about to compare it to Moonlight, but you didn't. Oh, I mean, just oh, I guess I, <laughs> I didn't. For me, it just hit. Like, I love Moonlight. I guess I was surprised that Moonlight got all of this attention and then this movie kind of was quiet the year after I don't think it was nominated for anything and I just it confuses me because I just think this movie is so Mm -hmm. is so beautifully made and I mean you know it's based off of a book by James Baldwin so of course like all the like it's it's just so resonant in so many ways Mm -hmm. yeah so I guess that's what I mean I was surprised that it didn't make as big of a splash I guess well, I mean, I think that the reason it didn't is because, you know, it was, it was Barry Jenkins' follow-up mm-hmm. to Moonlight, and I, everyone seemed to be comparing it to Moonlight, and I think that's I think that's why. I think people were just comparing it to Moonlight, and that's why it didn't, like, get as embraced as Moonlight did. I, I loved it. I thought, I, thought, I thought it was great. I think I liked Moonlight a little bit better, but I think that's also because when I saw Moonlight, I was so blown away by this mm-hmm. style by that in it, when i saw if bill street could talk i i was like okay that's 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 how this is so this is what i'm expecting and i got that and it's still yeah. amazing but i was like i was like this is what i'm gonna get out of this movie this like beautiful this beautiful like audiovisual poetry or whatever I was I was ready for it. It's like seeing whatever. It's like seeing a Terrence Malick oh, movie and then seeing see, another Terrence Malick uh-huh. movie. It's like you're not as blown away oh. by that by the act of genius as you yeah, are the first yeah, time. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's just this particular story I was so taken with both times. Just yeah, yeah no, I get it. But yeah, I they're totally both wonderful it. movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Cool. Well, so we should we shift to some Dune talk? Okay. Well, I've got a term. You've got a bit of a letter. Yes. All right. So I just I kind of just looked a little bit into uh, the House of Atreides, and because I had read early on that the House of Atreides is supposed to kind of harken back to Greek, like Greek gods and myth, and lit- I mean it actually does. Uh, because the Atreides line in the Dune verse traces back to Arteus, who was the father of Agamemnon and Menelaus in the Iliad. So it's a, you know, it's a real mythical oh. figure. 
Agamemnon angered Artemis because uh, he said that he was a better hunter than her and she's the goddess of hunting. Um, and so she placed a curse on their house, which kind of like, yeah, Clytemnestra was part of this and she murdered him to be with like her lover. And so their son had to carry that. But he eventually asks, he like uh, humbles himself in to Apollo and they break, he basically breaks the curse. And I, I thought that sounded like an interesting parallel to Paul and Jessica and Duke Leto. Just that Paul is kind of, I don't know. I mean, there are definitely differences. It's just funny because now we're going to be talk, like facing Jessica's betrayal narrative. So, yeah. So I was, I was curious about that because I also felt like, particularly in the part which we'll talk about with Stilgar, where he or Paul decides to keep him alive basically um i got like king arthur vibes too and i was wondering if there was any like king arthur reference in atreides but i wasn't able to find anything still i do think that he knights stilgar and there's just something about like knights of the round table that was happening in my head Mm, mm -hmm. but yeah it's definitely there's a direct line they say that uh on old earth they were greek awesome thanks for looking into that sure so yeah, we'll uh, dig into the old sandbag. Mm-hmm. We uh, we got another email uh, from our sole emailer. Yes, <laughs> actually, I have two. I have two entries to the sandbag, but we'll, we'll we'll cover this email first. Okay. So he did email us again with just some thoughts overall. Mm-hmm. But one of the things he included here, he further explained the dew collectors and so i just want to read you what he said about the dew collectors because i think we when we were going over them it sounded really stupid (laughs) we didn't really know what we were talking about i was like real excited about them and then you're like how do they work and i didn't know (laughs) okay i'm excited to hear what he says okay so he says about dew collectors chromo means color clearly referencing the changing colors of the dew collectors I think your guess about plant plastic was some unconscious word association in chlorophyll, which makes sense. The dew collectors are a very simple and very clever contraption. So clever and simple, in fact, that similar, just not color changing, designs are actually in use. Cool. Uh, Google Talia tray, for example, which I haven't done yet. Uh, How the fictional dew collector works. The plant is growing in a small pit. The sides of the pit are covered with chromoplastic. The color change helps the plastic to not heat up as quickly and cool down faster. Cooler air can hold less water, so at night the dew will begin to condense onto the cool plastic where it drips down to the bottom of the pit to the roots. The basic idea is scientifically sound, but I don't see it really working in dune conditions. Humidity in Sahara is around 25%. Dune has to be lower, around 10% based on the values from the Dune Encyclopedia. Even with air temperatures of 35 Celsius, 95 Fahrenheit, the plastic would have to be cooled down to negative 1 degree Celsius, 30 degrees Fahrenheit to get the dew, or rather frost, to condense on it. And I don't see that happening. The humidity is just way too low to make such a simple design work. Uh, But I think we have some hope for comfortable desert life. Uh, And then he uh, gave a link to this article from mit mm-hmm. uh which is entitled in field test device harvest water from desert air wow cool so very much appreciate this Seriously. information not only like 
breaking down the dew collectors, but like digging into just the hard science yes. of Arrakis. I love it. He knows what temperature it is, yes. how much humidity there will be. Super cool. I love that. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah. I'm looking at a Talia tray. Oh yeah? Yeah. And they're pretty cool. I mean, I'd have to read about it, but the first thing is for this company called Talia. And it says, unlocking nature's potential through the uh, power of simplicity, Talia brings the world a new earth-friendly agritech solution that naturally enhances occurring processes in plants while addressing issues of water shortage, extreme weather conditions, overuse of chemicals, and soil degradation. And actually, there is a photo, and if it does kind of help me visualize maybe what Dew Collector would look like. Cool. Anyway, that's very, very cool. Um, I was imagining almost saran wrap. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is like helpful. And then just real briefly, my friend Alex, mm-hmm. who I think I've mentioned on this podcast before. Benny and the Benny and the Jesuits. Benny the Jesuits. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh, he just sent me a little update. He said, Dune Advanced Reconnaissance Update. Just finished book five. If you guys make it this far, you can look forward to shit going completely off the rails in the most entertaining way possible. Among other things, you get a mintat that doesn't suck and off the chart horniness. Oh my god, what a pitch! <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, I love that. I love those sandbags. Thanks, Sandies. Really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, I stopped at Duke Collector. It collects too. So <laughs> that's where this old mentat brain took me. <laughs> okay, so should we jump in to our chapter? Let's jump in. So we went through, yeah, the second four chapters, starting, I guess we'll just call it chapter five yeah. of book three. And then we jump right into just Paul getting on that worm. Right. Yes, we're, I'm glad we're here. Do It was like a cutaway. Mm-hmm. We're instantly back. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're instantly back. Paul gets on the worm. Some Fremen follow him onto the worm. Uh-huh. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's like he's the captain of a ship. Yeah. Like he's like at the, sh- at the you know, the wheel of a ship. And he yells like, I don't know how to pronounce this word, but like it, it looks like girat, which means straight ahead. And then they respond, yo," which is kind of essentially like, you know, the ship's crew saying, aye, aye, captain. <laughs> Like, Ohio, he's, like, giving yeah. them directions as they steer this worm like a ship. It's really cool. Ooh, I wonder what, like, a, a worm-riding shanty would sound like. I mean, Bernie <laughs> yeah. would know, but... <laughs> Ohio, Ohio. <laughs> up, up on the worm we go. <laughs> I'm a dork. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, then he and Stilgar have this conversation. Oh, it's so awkward. Honestly, they both get so weird. <laughs> yeah. Because they're essentially talking around the fact that Paul has to best Stilgar at some point. Right. They're both, like, recognizing the fact that this is just the way. Yeah. Like, he, Paul has to challenge Stilgar. He has to call him out or else the men will think he's weak. Weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he knows that he can't best Paul. Right. So he's at, having a very awkward conversation. First he insults Paul's, like, worm getting ability right yeah he's like yeah you eventually you'll be a good sand rider not today yeah <laughs> yeah because well, he like yeah 
he wasn't using teamwork well and he's kind of like paul's like so i'm in charge of this worm right i can we can go wherever i want and stilgar's kind of like yeah and then paul's like well i want to go south and stilgar's like well what if we want to go to this other place that's closer and paul's like uh, i'm in charge of the worm right i get to go and stilgar's like yeah but what if i say right otherwise? right right and paul's like we're going south yeah trying to get him to be like who's in charge here really right yeah right and paul says that when they go south he wants to gather he, he wants to call a gathering mm-hmm. and that stilgar assumes that means that he's going to call him out mm-hmm. and paul even like plays that in his head doesn't exactly say I'm not going to call you out at that moment. Right. Well, at first he kind of does, but then it does seem like he's going to do it. I mean, because he's like, I am your friend, Stilgar. Um, when Stilgar basically says, the the one who led Tabersich, Sitch before me, he was my friend. We shared dangers. He owed me his life many a time, and I owed him mine. And yeah, they're just being weird. <laughs> I, I do like what Stilgar essentially says to him, which is, I trust Usul. Yes. I I don't know. Yes. I don't know, like, this future Duke, Paul Muad'Dib, Atreides. Yes. Like, I don't know the Lisanau guy. I know Usul, and that's who I trust. Yeah. I know. I love that, too. And that kind of comes back later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's just like... A couple of times, yeah. I don't know. I don't know your your other sides. It freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really cool. So yeah, they kind of decide instead of dealing with it, they'll just go like raid these smugglers, <laughs> <laughs> right? Go attack the smugglers. Yeah, they see the they see some smugglers coming, and and Paul's like, he's like, change oh, the subject. We... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paul's like, what if we uh, what if we set a little trap for them? Mm-hmm. And then Stilgar's like, that sounds like Usul time. <laughs> yeah, right now we've got Usul on the line. <laughs> Yeah, but he says, but I have to make decisions that match a terrible purpose. Bum, bum, bum. Mm -hmm. And the storm was gathering. Yep. Yeah. So then, yes, they've um, set this trap and we're on the smuggler's end with Gurney. Yeah. Yeah, we we jump into the next chapter and and we get uh, Gurney leading some smugglers. Uh Uh-huh. We get some more Thopter talk. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we get some more Thopter talk. <laughs> Which, hey, I'm never tired of it. Don't mistake my my <laughs> sarcasm about Thopters. I like them. And I like how good he is at describing, like, their action. Yeah, there's lots of, like, he's, like, looking at stuff through... The bubble dome. Oil, oil lenses and his, yeah, bubble dome. Do you think oil lenses extend, like, a full foot in front of your eyes? Oh, the binoculars? I don't know. I get the feeling that they're like, the oil is there to make it so you don't need them as long. I feel like they (laughs) might be shorter. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that's a a good theory. Yeah, I liked that this, it did describe what a thopter looked like a bit, a little bit more with this like, clear dome that's about yeah as I got. it kind of con- that dome kind of confused me about like i thought i had a good idea what it looked like <laughs> and then i was like what's this dome well when you said it was like a bug i i guess i thought the dome was like maybe an 
the eyes of the bug or something. I could picture it for a second, but yeah, just, you know, like in a, in any sort of fighter jet plane, there's a dome, but it's bubble. Oh, I see. You're talking about like the, the, the like cockpit. The cockpit. Did you know that an ornithopter is like a real thing? No. So I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. Oh, cool. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a Wright Brothers machine. No, I, I mean, I think it is. It's exactly what it is. Like, it's an early flying machine yeah. that they pedaled, and it f- made the wings fly. And it looks like a dragon. So that's that's why I always say I think it looks like a bug, because it is an orn- ornithopter. Wow, you think they're that open air? Well, no, I just think that it's like, the mechanics oh. of it is that it has wings that actually flap up and down. Cute. Okay, thank you. That yeah. was helpful. So... <laughs> They they land, they find out it's a trap. Well, this part is cool because he goes, he glanced up at the cover flight, noting the altitude, not too high. He nodded to himself, turned to resume his climb up the ridge. In that instant, the ridge erupted. Two, and then it's just like, oh, the, all the rockets come out. It was oh, pretty right. exciting. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, the rockets are cool because previously Paul had said, we'll get, it'll give us a chance to test out our new weapons. Uh-huh. And then we see these rockets, and he's like, Gurney's like, how dare they use rockets? By the horns of the great mother! Rockets! <laughs> <laughs> and then the Fremen are upon them. Yeah, the Fremen are upon them, and Paul sees Gurney, recognizes Gurney, and says, like, you won't need your knife with me, Gurney Halleck. Mm-hmm. I know that I keep bringing up Star Wars. <laughs> But there's this moment of oh, tension. Oh, the last Jedi? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's this moment of tension, the moment of tension in the book where these old friends are meeting, but they seem to maybe be on different sides and you don't know exactly how they're going to react when reunited is very similar to the scene in Return of the Jedi where Han Solo shows up to, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Luke Skywalker. No. <laughs> uh... Billy D. Williams' character. What's his? Oh, um, Lando Calrissian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Land- yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. So Han shows up to meet Lando, and they have this moment of like where Lando's like, "You got a lot of nerve showing up here," mm-hmm. and Han's like, kind of has this feeling of like, "I don't know if this guy's going to embrace me or what." And then he's like, "How you doing, you old pirate?" and gives him a hug. <laughs> Cute. Which I thought was like felt very similar to this because. Gurney calls him young pup. And Uh I thought, oh, it's like so, it feels so directly a version of this because he says young pup in Dune and old pirate in Star Wars. Like, it's like the rhythm of it is exactly the same. Exactly. Fake them out. Yeah. Yeah. um, It's very sweet. Well, because at first Gurney's like, just, you know, he's shocked. And Paul is acting pretty cold and serious. Um, I like the part where. Gurney calls off his men. He says, these are friends. And so they say, fine friends. Someone shouted back. Half our people are murdered. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, it was a mistake. And it's like, well, God. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of like breezes past that. The fact that these yeah. people have been murdered. He doesn't care. He's like, whatever. I love that we get the cool hand signals. They're back. Oh, yeah. Wait, I missed that. He was- yeah, he gives he gives Paul uh the their old classic secret hand signal to let him know that there are like men not to be trusted among the smugglers. Right. So cool. I mean back in action. This is a team we're talking about. Exactly. The bonds cannot be broken. <laughs> 
Yeah, so yeah. he's like really concerned that Paul is no longer the Paul he knew. Mm-hmm. And then then Paul steps towards him and all of a sudden they're hugging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're exactly. just embracing. We could we could we could re- we could act it out. No. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I just like when he goes, Gurney man, Gurney man. <laughs> Man, how do you think he says that? Gurney, man. Gurney. Gurney, man, gurney. (laughs) Man, gurney. So this part is wonderful. It's great. The reunion is amazing. I love it so much. Uh I love getting to see Gurney and Paul back together. It's so exciting. Then Stilgar kind of seems a little jealous of the friendship. I would say that. that, (laughs) Yeah, Stilgar might be a little. He's like, oh, yeah, gurney. I have heard of gurney yeah and then gurney uh stilgar's like yeah so that's your duke i hear this is like he's like Uh so he's in charge you now (laughs) that's your boss right yeah i hear you might want to bow down to him (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't have to because he's just my friend we're kind of equals and actually we've been talking about it sounds like we're working on something so um i don't know but you that's your leader. <laughs> yeah. This is a job for you, so. <laughs> yeah. You can't really be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is funny. I like this uh, head-to-head. Um, but then they touch hands. Yes. Then they touch hands, mm-hmm. although it doesn't seem like a very friendly hand touch at all. No. No, I don't know that this exactly, like, makes them fast friends, even though Paul is like, I would like you guys to be friends. Gurney says... <laughs> Gurney says, I thought I had nothing left but revenge. That's pretty, (laughs) my heart broke for Gurney. Just like, and then it just made me so happy. Like, it just made the reunion feel all the better. Like, this is like a true piece of their hearts that was missing. Right. And, you know, Gurney full on immediately believes Paul that he had, like, understands why he could, he had to let him believe he was dead. Yeah. He completely understands that, which is. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good friend. Yes. Oh, yeah, here it is. This is this is, this is is the one. Well, Gurney, do you enlist with me for the finish of this campaign? Enlist? Gurney stared at him. My lord, I've never left your service. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so sweet. I also like this uh, exchange. Uh-huh. She's your woman, Gurney said. The mother of my firstborn, Paul said. There's another Leto among the Atreides. Gurney accepted this with only a widening of the eyes. <laughs> just, just imagine like, a very comical, like, oh, <laughs> cartoonish. <laughs> no comment. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. I guess he's just like, shit. I mean, this boy was just 14 years old. Right. He's a young pup. Having yeah. sex? <laughs> <laughs> Getting girls pregnant? But then, yeah, so somebody calls him the Muad'Dib, and he's like, oh my god, this, he's the Muad'Dib? Holy shit. Paul? Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, yeah, Gurney has the same thing where he's like, oh, you, I know you as my duke, but I don't know exactly. you as, yeah, so Stilgar and him both have, like, parallel experiences. Yeah, and Paul keeps referring to the Fremen as us and we. Yeah. And that's also like making Gurney like, 
Oh. Yeah. You see yourself as a Fremen. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, exact same thing where they, they, they have this, like, two different versions of Paul that they don't know really understand the other the other side of them. Right. And neither understand the Muad'Dib, Lisa Nogai exactly. part. Um, right. Which is his true self. So then inside the CH, the Sardaukar reveal themselves and the Fremen kill most of them. By the time Paul gets there. Right. And, and kind of, yeah, Paul's yeah, like, he's freaked out. He's like, where's Shawnee? So Paul can kind of confronts these Sardaukar, uh-huh. lets them know they've been bested. Yes. Tells them, I'm the Duke of this land. Like, you have to, you have to do what I say. I'm, I'm still in charge of this land. Pretty cool. Uses the voice on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first time we get to see the voice in action, really, like as a... From like an imperial, <laughs> or from like a ducal standpoint, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's kind of the first like we're we're finally seeing Paul take on like the title of duke. Yes, this is where we're like we're kind of seeing him explore the the ducal side. I know, of I know. He decided ducal <laughs> was overused. <laughs> so one of the yeah one of the Sardaukar jumps at Paul, uh-huh. and the guy that he was talking to stabs him. Korba. Korba, thank you. Mm-hmm. And then Paul starts to go into all sorts of weird stuff about the Sardaukar, like what they have in their bodies. Like once they've oh, been killed, yeah. he's like, well, now that you have uh, killed him or whatever, once you have bested him, um, check all their toenails. And also <laughs> uh, they'll have uh, transmitters in their teeth and, you know, like that they'll always have a couple of fake appendages, yeah. basically. Yeah, and, and that like... And no matter how many you've found... Also, he says you should sh- essentially shave off all their hair. <laughs> shave them bald. <laughs> yeah. Because they have, like, will have, like, something they can use, like, to garrot someone. That's intense. Uh, in <laughs> yeah. Because I already uh, imagine them pretty hairless. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I imagine them, like, marble, like, very broad and marbly. Oh, I I think they meant like the hair on their heads. Oh, okay. I guess I. <laughs> I don't think they were like. He has a like back hair long enough to choke someone. I yeah, I did take it for their body hair. <laughs> well, he does say every scrap of body hair, but I that's do true. think that's you're true. right. Like that's probably where they mostly do it. But you never know if it's like a light hair. It could it could be like all curled that's true. up. That's true. Yeah. I I think it's weird. Like so that Fremen. I don't remember which Fremen who's who essentially is trying to take responsibility for these Sardaukar, like surprising them and mm-hmm. catching them off guard. Paul's like, "No, it's my fault. I should have told you all of this stuff about the Sardaukar." Yeah. And the whole time I'm reading that, I'm like, "No shit, you should have." Right. Like it really is your fault. <laughs> like that seems like a huge oversight. <laughs> That's their enemy that are on the planet. Yes. He should have shared this information earlier. If their job is to protect him from the Sardaukar, yeah, <laughs> they're going to need this information. Yeah, it just seems crazy that he hadn't shared that. Yeah, Paul. I know, I'm sure the guy was like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, here's Paul list off all this wild information that you could yeah. never guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the guy's just blinking at him like, hmm. That would have been helpful to know. <laughs> and speaking of, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Uh, these Sardaukar right. find out all this information about Paul. <laughs> and Paul's like, yeah, lock him up. And all the Fremen are like, 
no, we need to kill them. They know <laughs> yeah. way too much about you. And Paul's like, no, just they're, they're our prisoners. Lock them up. Yeah. And then he wants them to escape, right? Yeah, he wants them to escape. To Yeah, I know. Everybody's like, they go, sire. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we already killed like seven of them. Why can't, can we just kill these guys? Like, what's yeah. the deal? So yeah, he wants them to escape to spread word, I guess, about how powerful the Fremen are. To make the other Sardaukar afraid. But also it seems like a pretty big chunk of information he's releasing by letting them know that he's the Duke. That the yeah. Lisa Nagabe is, is... Is Paul. Paul. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he says the la- the line, a you know, a major line where he says, The people who can destroy a thing, they control it. Mm-hmm. And then he has a little, little talk with Stilgar again uh-huh. about ways change. Mm-hmm. Which is like pretty pretty cool way to put it, just like because Stilgar's just like this is what we do. Like you have to challenge me, you have to kill me. Yes, that's the way. And Paul convinces him like ways change. Yeah, I'm the least on our guy. Things have changed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean he makes he makes a good point when he says that you know he's not going to be interested in all of the details about how the siege are run. And, like, Stilgar is an incredible leader, an asset there. So right. why would he weaken himself by losing his best, one of his best people? Exactly. Yeah. And then Paul and Gertie do just a little bit of catching up. Yeah, they kind of chat. He lets him know. That, they yeah, could have done a little, little bit more. It would have been good. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. They get right to, like, well, what about Duncan Idaho? Duncan's dead. Yeah, Duncan's dead. And then and then Paul reveals that Jessica's still alive and... and Gurney's pissed. Oh, he loses his shit in his head. I yeah. was like, whoa, that was some incel business. <laughs> 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 he goes, he torques up. Yeah, he says, the witch, the she-witch alive. Gurney, come on. So he's Yeah, like, it was disappointing. I know. Right. Well, Gurney also got the side of the lie, right? Like, yeah. Gurney very much trusted Leto and Leto wanted mm. Gurney to, bl- That's right. to believe that, that he believed that Jessica was a traitor. So yeah, Gurney's just a victim of the lie. Totally. So we'll, we'll, it's fine. Um, but it is quite intense. Yeah, it is intense. The evil uh, one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what manner of creature gave him birth? <laughs> yeah. Really, really yeah. lays into... It's rough. It's yeah. pretty rough. <laughs> so chapter seven is kind of like just like the result of chapter the stuff discussed at the end of chapter six like chapter six ends with stilgar essentially saying well i've got to convince the rest of the people that you know that we we should not fight Mm -hmm. you shouldn't challenge me and that we should both live and you act as duke and i act as like whatever the what is his title and this is everyone seems pretty on board they they it's pretty easy i mean they're like that's (laughs) not the way a couple yeah. times. And then they're like, all right! <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take much. Well, this is the part where um, I read this as him being knighted, where Paul says, hand me your Chris knife, Stilgar obey. Mm. Repeat after me, Stilgar. I, Stilgar, take this knife from the hands of my duke. Uh, and then, yeah. Um, where my duke commands, there I shall place this blade. It was just very knightly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very much. Very much. He gives him kind of like... The same way that Stilgar 
pulled Paul into the world of the Fremen, that Paul's kind of pulling Stilgar just a little bit into the world of this, like, right. you know, West Duke. Duke. Yeah. Duke crap, yeah. Dukiness. <laughs> Dukiness. Ducal stuff. Yeah. Just Ducal stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he puts the royal signet on. He puts the du- he Ducal signet on. <laughs> he makes uh, Stilgar kiss the blade. Uh-huh. Which is cool. It's kind of baller, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. He kisses Paul's knife arm. Yeah. And it says, yeah, Stilgar obeyed, then in the Fremen manner, kissed Paul's knife arm. So he's kind of like putting a Fremen twist on this uh-huh. kind of non-Fremen... Ritual, right. Ritual, thank you, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, I did think that this was a rather even exchange of culture, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, where neither are diminished. And then Paul... Paul takes Jessica and he's like, I got a surprise for you. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she wants, oh, he wants right. to surprise her with Gertie. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, first I'll just say that he, she like has all these mean thoughts about Chani. Where she's oh, yeah. like, and because she desperately wants her like fancy life back. And she's like, mm-hmm. what can his desert woman do for the Duke except serve him coffee? And then she's, you know, she's pissy. I shouldn't say pissy. <laughs> she's uh, upset because um, she can just picture, like, living in a castle again, uniting with the Padishah Empire. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. Paul's like, okay, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Brings Jessica in and Gurney immediately puts a knife to her neck. <laughs> yeah. Gur- yeah. Gurney, like, grabs her by the by the throat around the throat lifts her up and puts the yeah the blade to her mm-hmm. and gurney's like jessica's like trained gurney in in a lot of his like methods yeah. and so like she knows like okay this isn't like stilgar <laughs> where i can get myself out of this like gurney knows exactly how to handle this yeah. tells her to talk in monotone so she can't use the voice on on him uh-huh. yeah. but gurney like really wants to like tell paul why he's about to kill Luckily, his mom Thank yeah. God. He had, and he yeah. clarified that before. He was like, I must tell Paul before I kill his mother. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, good call. <laughs> good call. Good, uh, yeah, yeah, glad you did it. Don't do it after. Don't do it after. You're going to really <laughs> regret that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jessica says at one point that he has the great control when Paul is mm-hmm. using, and I just, I always think it's funny when people just put normal words into capital letters and just say it's like a special <laughs> thing. <laughs> like we don't, I don't know that we've heard of the great control yet. I mean, I get it. Like, of course it's the voice. It's like, I, I kind of saw it as being able to use the voice without a, a tell that you're using the voice. Yes, 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 yes. Paul's like, hold on, let's talk about this. Yeah. I like that he tells him like Gurney, I love you and I'll and I'll love you even as I'm killing you. <laughs> I'll love you even if I have to kill you and you're dead. I'll still love yeah. you because you killed my mother. Yeah, he tells him that Yui was the traitor and ev- he want, you know, Gurney wants evidence. He's convinced it's a trick. Then he he says something that makes Paul want to cry. Oh, because she's been so upset over you know his uh the duke dying and paul like recognizes their love oh i think it was jessica 
wanted to cry, right? Yeah, because, Jessica wanted to cry. Yeah, Jessica wanted to cry because Paul is like saying essentially like, you don't know my mom. Like you haven't heard her cry. You haven't yeah. heard how upset she is Aww. and how upset she was when my father died. Mm-hmm. And Jessica's like, oh, he noticed. Like Aww. he noticed how upset I was. Right, yeah. That is, yeah, that so he's just like, she, yeah, <laughs> she's just seeing him as like a son, like a son that like loves his mother and like mm-hmm. pays attention to her. And, yeah. Yeah. I know, even when he's, like, blitzing out, he can still notice. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Paul later, oh, he goes on this speech about, like, one of the terrible moments in a boy's life is realizing that your parents, like, love each other and have this own special relationship. This is kind of a weird <laughs> moment to talk about it, but sweet, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says, didn't you learn the Atreides loyalty is bought with love while the Harkonnen coin is hate? Yeah, he... What is his evidence about Yui? Oh, oh, it's the... The message. The message, that's right. Yeah. The, oh, the fact that Yui left a note admitting. Right. Why don't <laughs> they still the have that note? It would be useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's it's in the South, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. it's it's in another CH. Because he says, he says, I need evidence. And Paul's like, it's in another CH. Uh-huh. And Gurney, Gurney doesn't really believe him. It sounds like a like an excuse. Like oh, yeah, it's, it's in my other CH. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah. He's like patting his pocket. He's like, I got it around here somewhere. Oh, oh you know what? Uh. Took, it, took it off late the other night. <laughs> <laughs> I usually keep it in this pocket, but it's been cold. So I, you know, I put it to my coat. It'll, we'll get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he says that his father's weakness was misunderstanding hatred. And that he mm-hmm. thought that. Because Yui hated the Harkonnens, he couldn't hate, he couldn't do anything bad against the Atreides. Right. But, you know, as we know, Yui did it out of extreme love for his wife, which, um, yeah, ranked above his loyalty to the Atreides. So Gurney sees it, he lets her go, and then demands that Paul kill him. Yes! (laughs) This is like my favorite part. Rips open his shirt. Yes, he rips open his shirt and he says, put your knife right here. (laughs) And then Paul's like, stop acting like a fool. I've had enough foolishness for one day. (laughs) Kill me, I say! How many kinds of an idiot do you think I am? Yeah. Must I go through this with every man I need? Ah, that's so funny. (laughs) They're all like, kill me! (laughs) Paul, and he's like, oh my god, what is wrong with these guys? (laughs) And then Gurney just turns to Jessica and is like, all right, then you kill me. I know. And she says, Gurney, why do you insist the Entreides must kill those they love? And she gently closes his robe. Yeah, she forgives him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Paul's like, hey, Gurney, you still got that battle set? Uh Uh-huh. Hey, man. (laughs) Let's hear a song. You know what? Let's hear a damn song. (laughs) Let's close this out with a... With a Gurney original. Um, yeah, and Jessica, Jessica's been like nervous about hearing Gurney sing because it'll bring too many wonderful memories back from Kaladin. Mm-hmm. Which I agree, that's how I feel every time I listen to Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get that, I get that. Yeah. I liked this song. Yeah, it's described as, I think, oh, I, I can't find the uh, the specific part where it describes it but it describes the song as like being sad lyrics with happy music Mm, mm -hmm. so kind of like a cure song oh yes totally which is appropriate for i mean gurney i bet would love 
a bit of the cure right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I know. I love I actually the last paragraph in, or the last stanza could be a cure lyric, really. Well, no, it's a little it's a little old fashioned, but <laughs> old transgressions. <laughs> Eden's promise of ecstasies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But it's kind of like things when things are good, which has been a, a like a B plot, a C plot of the book is like You've got to notice the good things when they're happening. Right, right. Okay. During the song. Yeah. Yeah. During the song, a Fadakin, Fadakin courier appears and he is like, well, all these leaders showed up and Paul's like, why? And he's like, well, they thought you were going to fight Stilgar. So word got out. And they came to watch. Uh-huh. And Paul's like, takes this moment to decide that he has to drink the water of life. Right. So... Yeah. So yeah, he's like, we will see now if I'm the. He said. Putat said right. Thank you. <laughs> said it aloud in a while. Yeah. So we we go into chapter eight, and it's it's weeks later. Yes. Johnny's been summoned by Jessica in the guise of being summoned by Paul. Mm-hmm. To the cave of birds. To the cave of birds. Mm-hmm. She gets there, and Jessica's kind of like trying to stall and just shoot the shit with her she's being so weird it's real weird and the whole time chani's like fucking get to it is he dead lady (laughs) yeah (laughs) what is going on yeah and jessica even says i can see she's suffering through these pleasantries (laughs) yeah it's so i don't i still really don't understand why she does this right and we never but it does yeah Oh, I was just going to say, it, it, it does seem to make her appreciate Shawnee more. Right. Is it that she's, like, respecting her? Yeah. I guess that she's, like, keeping her shit together Yeah, that she's so able well. to stay calm. Yeah. It's a weird test, but she passes, uh, so, yeah. okay. <laughs> I was thinking this whole time, when, the whole time I was reading that part, I was like, this is going to be hard to show in the movie, because it's like... <sighs> On the surface, it's just like two people having a really boring conversation about fabric and <laughs> and keeping their shit together. Yeah, but they're they're it's all internal. They're freaking out inside, but they're not showing it. I guess it would be funny. Then they should have those subtitles that are just like asterisk screams internally. <laughs> um, intense music. Intense, yeah. <laughs> music intensified. Yeah, so finally she gets around to it. Paul's in a coma. Paul's in a coma, hasn't been awake for three weeks. He just drifted. He, he's barely alive, hanging on by a thread. Right. right. Been poisoned, they they think. Yeah. They're not sure by yeah. who. He's, his life is ba- so barely functional that people think he's dead. Mm-hmm. There are, they think that Jessica's lying that he's alive and that, because they don't want to just take his water. She doesn't want them to take his water. Mm-hmm. It's pretty tense. Yeah, it's he's so he's so not alive that he doesn't need food. Yeah, <laughs> for weeks. Yeah, which is insane. Oh yeah, so so Jessica thinks that Paul has been poisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's this coma's super hardcore. His skin's all waxy. Oh yeah, I was saying that he reminds me of Frodo when he gets oh. stabbed by the um by the big spider. M- What's her name? Yeah, M- uh, something. Oh fuck. I'll I'll dub that in later. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, 
Okay, so I have a thought about why she's doing this with Chani because she says that she summoned Chani out of intuition. And so maybe she's trying mm-hmm. to like, te- like kind of slowly sense Chani out. Like she is just like detecting everything Chani's bringing, hmm. you know, through this like pleasantries conversation. And she is doing like a lot of observing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it's my theory. I buy it. All right. So then Johnny does, like, yeah, Johnny does start to kind of freak out and, yeah. like, get, yeah, because she's worried about Paul. But she pretty quickly realizes that he, that it's spice related. Uh-huh. She just starts asking her all these questions about it's spice. it's an allergic reaction. Yeah. Just was like, mean. no, he's not allergic to spice. Mm-hmm. I would have checked that off on the form. Yeah. And then Johnny gets, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> When you change the water of life, you do it within yourself by the inward awareness. Have you used this awareness to test his blood? Normal Fremen blood, <laughs> Jessica says. I don't know why that was funny to me. Wait, why do you think that's funny? <laughs> I don't I don't know Explain why just like yourself. normal Fremen blood. Yeah. <laughs> normal Fremen blood. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny. So she asks if there's a maker. Mm-hmm. Right, because she asks if a maker's nearby. Right, but it is weird because she just holds it. It's almost like it's like smelling salts or something. She says, yeah, get me the raw water of the maker. Oh, yes. Okay, thank you. Okay. And then, yeah, so uh, she puts it in front of his nose and he basically like comes to pretty fast. Yeah. He's like, (gasps) like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Yuck. And then it seems so comical. He's (laughs) like, I did it. I just took a drop. It's just like five minutes ago. Wait, why is Chani here? Yeah, he comes in. He's like, awesome. I'm the Kisa Tatarak. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I took it. And then, yeah, he's like, well, Chani. <laughs> like, you've been out for three weeks, Paul. Three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then he like realizes that he's like super weak and they tell him it's been three weeks. That's. You haven't eaten anything. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then he like grabs. Jessica. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't really tell her what's going to happen. He's just like, I'm going to take us where no man has ever gone. <laughs> right. Well, he's like, show me the place that that no you one. cannot go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He like, I guess Jessica. So Jessica was about to change the water. Yes. So she took a sip. So I guess that in a way she's kind of like already in a trancey like. Yeah. Area. Yeah, she's going down that that long hallway of doors. Yeah, and that's where, like, Paul, like, yoinks Jessica into the Matrix. (laughs) Yoink! (laughs) And the demands that he, that she show her, show him the place that she cannot enter. Yeah, she screams. Yeah. (laughs) He uh, faced her with death's head grin. Yeah. It's very scary. Yeah. It's super intense. Yeah, it's like a light flash and you can see a skull or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, they, they go into her mind palace. Yeah. <laughs> he starts running towards his dark corner. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. She's shaking her head. She's like, no! He says, show it to me! <laughs> <laughs> no! And then, yeah, he keeps running into the direction that is dark. Yeah. And then he kind of snaps out of it and starts to kind of describe some weird gender stuff. Mm-hmm. 
that women give and men take. Right. Pretty interesting. Yeah. And and women are all women are givers and all men are takers. And uh-huh. a man thing- finds. Yeah. Yeah. A man finds little difficulty facing the place within himself where the taking force dwells, but it's almost impossible for him to see into the woman, into the giving force without changing into something other than a man. For a woman, the situation is reversed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like a weird. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, it's you know, it's kind of like gender, gender idea number one. Right. Of like penis vagina (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess well i don't know but then it's well whatever what what well it says that women give and men take so i guess oh because you would think giving is a Uh a penis (laughs) (laughs) and taking the penis well Uh, i think it's that I, i i don't know exactly what he means by this other than like women's or women's women are typically givers in a a relationship and men take like i don't know right i mean i guess i think of it as like men active you know they're they're the stereotype or whatever the conception is that of men being active and women Mm -hmm. being passive Mm -hmm. yeah that women are self-sacrificing and men are selfish i suppose like they're self-interested and women are interested in the other. Do you understand me, mother? Paul asked. She could only nod, which doesn't <laughs> doesn't really suggest that she does understand. The greatest peril to the giver is the force that takes. The greatest peril to the taker is the force that gives. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, because they're opposite forces. Right. Yeah. Um, I am the fulcrum. M- Mm-hmm. More, mm-hmm. more, more Star Wars stuff. Balance to the Force. The idea of bringing balance to the Force. All right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's the fulcrum. He can give and take. He can't take without giving, and he can't give without taking. Yeah. Again, I don't know what that means. I don't really like. <laughs> what does it mean? I'm now. I'm like. I kind of like was Jessica. I was just nodding through this. Right. I was like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. He's the fulcrum. <laughs> These things are so ancient within us that they're ground into each separate cell of our bodies. We're shaped by such forces. You can say to yourself, yes, I see how such a thing may be, but when you look inward and confront the raw force of your own life unshielded, you see your peril. You see that this could overwhelm you. Yeah, he's just like Jordan Peterson or something. <laughs> yeah, Give and it's take. Weird. Yeah. What does the fulcrum do then? Keep, I guess, well, the, things in the balance. The fulcrum, he can, yeah, he, yeah. so it's a fulcrum, he can shift from giving to taking, that he's, like, he's, he's, he's the point at which it shifts from giving to taking, like, he can, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's the balance. Right, and I guess, like, a fulc- the fulcrum also does feel like a present moment sort of thing, where there's not anything being given or taken, because, okay, here's something, I feel like, <laughs> now I'm just sorting, okay, I feel like, uh, to give or to take implies that an action has happened, which means it can't happen in the present moment because in the present, nothing has happened. Everything's happening. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense because once something's been given, that, that implies it's already happened. So you're saying you can't give or take in the present? 
Right. You can't give or take in the present because it has to have passed. So my my right hand has a pen. Oh, my God. Okay. It's going to give it to the left hand, right? Yes. So now that's in the past, the giving. Yes. But like, what's going on right here? You're holding a pen. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, like, is this not the present, the action of giving? You're not giving it to anything right now. If, you're, if your pen is here, it's not being given. This is going to sound great on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We're, like, trying to sound very, very smart. Yeah. Um, we're like, this is one hand clapping. <laughs> Here's a pen over here. <laughs> I think that that's true. I stand by it. I don't think you can give or take in the prison. Okay. I, I see what, I see what you're saying. You do. I just don't know that that, I, like, I don't, I don't understand how it applies here. What about but I agree- this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hoping to blow your mind. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah, so then that's when he says that he sees the now. Yes, I've seen He's, the now. Yeah. So he sees that... And now uh, that's what I call music. <laughs> <laughs> now that's what I see now. <laughs> now. No now. No now. <laughs> the now. I mean, he does kind of describe it very concretely, though. It's not, like, real trippy. It's just, like, I can see that the space is filled with ships. Right. He yeah. He can see. He can see that who was spying on them, mm-hmm. who saw everything that happened, and who's about to tell everybody. And then he can also see the guild, all these guild ships, and the fact that the guild is like just like gathered all these forces at the ready. Mm-hmm. I understand that his plan is that right. they should destroy all the makers and all the spice because it was set up earlier that he who. Mm-hmm can destroy the thing controls the thing Mm -hmm. but this like logic of the water of death i don't i don't get really what he's getting at yeah how does it flip to water of death it'd be a chain reaction so what he gives it to one little worm and then or one little maker yeah he says if we plant a qual if we plant a quantity of the water of life above a pre-spice mass do you know what will happen oh yeah (laughs) and that's when she's like paul she gasped the water of death. It'll be a chain reaction. He points to the floor. Spreading death <laughs> among the little makers. <laughs> like... Pretty dorky detail, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't help his argument. <laughs> so I guess the idea is like, she creates the water of life. She gives it the chain reaction. They put, put it over a pre-spice mass. The two combine and become a poison. That the makers will eat and spread amongst themselves. I suppose, but why Why does it become a poison? That's just, yeah, they just know. know that it does? Yeah, he just knows that it does. And so, yeah, so does Jessica, evidently. Yeah, right. She, like, gets snaps to his meaning real quick. Yes. Uh, but also, like, we don't know exactly how changing the water works either. We're just like, yeah, she pukes into that <laughs> bag. Yeah, Jessica just has to go puke into a worm's mouth and then yeah. the planet will die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was kind of bummed to read this anyway. I mean, I know that this is an important part, but, you know, I don't I don't want all the makers to die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, this like, is your grand plan? Yeah, it's 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 such a weird decision to be like, yeah, let's kill let's kill all the makers. 
we the stakes have been set, I suppose. Now we know where the 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 big enemy is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're clearly getting ready for some the big final, final countdown. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and we got three chapters left. Wow, this is yeah. It'll be our last section of the book. The last section of the book, unless we decide to read the appendix as a as episode. <laughs> Do you have any ways you want to end this? We could yell out what's the what's the word? The <laughs> Why would you know what word I was thinking of? Oh, the um, word. <laughs> the the word he yells on the on the on the worm's back. Oh. Garot. Garot. <laughs> sure. Sounds good. <laughs> I don't know. Does it? Straight that ahead. Garot. No, that's perfect. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. After three. And once again, whoever counts will think we're in sync. Yes. <laughs> so I'll count this time. Okay. Okay. So after three? After three. Okay. okay. One, two, three. Garot! Garot! How'd that sound to you? Oh, right in. Right in. <laughs> okay, perfect. great. Then perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. All right, thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.